Welcome to the inside. Well, the reviews are in, and after years of planning and construction, the Motion Picture Academy's new museum in Los Angeles will open its doors to the public September 30th. The LA Times called it LA's newest landmark, shaping up to be a Hollywood hit. On display for fans will be E.T., Batman, the mechanical shark from Jaws, and hundreds of props, costumes, and clips from the motion picture industry's 100-year history. With its world-class theaters and 10-story glass dome, it's destined to become the physical heart of Hollywood and a huge draw for Los Angelinos and tourists alike. Meanwhile, at movie theaters this last week, Marvel fans came back in strong numbers to see Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. Available only in cinemas, the new Marvel movie broke Labor Day records and has now grossed more than $250 million worldwide. I am Jim Chavin in Los Angeles, and with me is our co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Good morning, Jim. Well, Wim, uh, pretty interesting news at the box office this week. Uh, Shang-Chi did extremely well over Labor Day weekend. The film was not released on Disney+, Plus, just in cinemas. And uh, I have to tell you, I saw it uh, on a Saturday evening, and the theater was full. AMC reported that this past Tuesday was the first time that attendance numbers exceeded those of the same weekend before the pandemic, which I think is a trend. But we've got a great show today, Wim, uh, and we're going to take our listeners to the movies. Jim, we have the perfect guests to discuss the full movie schedule and to help us better understand the current marketplace. Paul Dergarabedian is one of our industry's most respected market authorities. In his role as senior media analyst for Comscore, Paul provides expert analysis to executives, studios, and the financial community from the company's real-time movie and television measurement services. He joins us from Los Angeles. Welcome, Paul. So great to be here. It's really an honor. Thank you. So, Paul, set the stage for us, you know. Behind closed doors, what are the top Hollywood executives trying to figure out right now? Last week, you know, we had a kickoff of the fall uh, with Shang-Chi, which, which did fantastic. What's your opinion? What, what, did, what did we learn from that release? I think Shang-Chi was probably the most important release of the year because it was the first Marvel movie since Spider-Man Far From Home, which was released in July of 2019, to go theatrical first, theatrical exclusive first run. And the results were astounding with record-breaking Labor Day weekend numbers for that film. And most recently, uh, in its second weekend, dropped only 54%, which is a very modest drop for a film that opened uh, at $94 million for four days, which obliterated the previous Labor Day weekend record set by Halloween uh, back in 2007. So Labor Day, not generally known as a hotbed of blockbusters, but because the calendar was completely upended and discombobulated and Marvel bent the calendar to its will once again, they came up with a record uh, weekend that felt like the beginning of summer, not the traditional end of summer. What impact do you think this release strategy had to the success of the box office? And will that affect how people think in this, the Hollywood studios? Yeah, I think this way every Hollywood studio chief, every creative, everyone in Hollywood was looking at Shang-Chi as a guide as to what is going on with the consumer, what's happening at the movie theater, what is the perception 
of the movie theater experience. And it was really a, a litmus test in a way because had the opposite ha- happened and Shang-Chi had well underperformed while being available in theaters only, people would have said, well, there you go. People don't want to go to the movie theater. Streaming, the streaming option will take over as so many people thought it might. But what the opposite actually happened, despite the Delta variant and concerns over the pandemic, which is, of course, we have to respect that. Uh, that's very important. So I think people, by and large, have the perception that of, of outdoor spaces, the movie theater is among, if not the most safe environment to be in because the movie theaters have really done their job. But the studios are doing their job as well. And by committing to a theatrical first release on Shang-Chi and having such a great result, I think that's great for the theaters. I also think it's great for streaming. You know, streaming and theaters are complementary and additive. They should not be looked at as adversarial. If we go down that path, then it's like an either-or situation. It's actually both of those uh, platforms can succeed. And I would argue that in 45 days, well, now less than 45 days, when Shang-Chi hits Disney+, Plus. It's going to be an even more coveted movie with that prestige and the exclusivity of that theatrical run feeding into the perception of the consumer that, hey, I may have already seen it in the theater. I'm going to get it now on Disney Plus or I didn't have a chance to see it in the theater. But since it was in the movie theater, this is something I really need to watch out for and I'm going to see it. So your sense is that because it went to theaters and earn such uh, success that it makes it more valuable when it goes to streaming. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jim. I just feel like there's a value add there that is baked into our DNA when a movie is in theaters. So when we talk about streaming, the creative community has come very loudly, strongly saying from, hey, we make our movies to be shown in a movie theater, right? Um, Where does the studio stand right now in releasing their movies in theaters versus on streaming platforms, you believe? Filmmakers who are creating a theatrical film, it's called that for a reason. They want that movie to be on the big screen canvas. Filmmakers always want to sit. We all love sitting in a darkened movie theater watching a movie. Can you imagine if you're a filmmaker bypassing that and and that was your intent, either growing up or in the creative process for any movie to say, pinch me, I'm dreaming, my movie's on a 50-foot screen in a movie theater with people watching it. So Shang-Chi, though it's a blockbuster, also informs independent filmmakers as to the power of the movie theater to draw people in, create that buzz, the cultural resonance that happens when you have a movie open in a movie theater. So we want to we want to try out some titles that are coming up this fall and get your initial take on what you think of them. Uh, James Bond, No Time to Die, movie been delayed, but finally scheduled for October the 8th. It's Daniel Craig's last time in his role as 007. What will you be expecting for, for I'll Bond? be expecting me to be first in line to see No Time yeah. to Die. That's <laughs> Wim, Wim and I will be in line with you. <laughs> absolutely, We're, absolutely. I mean, Wim, look, for, for all of us, I mean, James Bond, I mean, this is a franchise that stood the test of time, 60 years now. Uh, billions of dollars worldwide, especially if you adjust for inflation. This movie was among, or maybe the first movie to move out of its original, I believe it was an April 2020 release date. And then it moved to November, which has been, uh, for many of the Bond movies, their release dates were in November, if you look historically. Then it moved again to uh, the first quarter of 21, and now it's set 
for October 8th, as you said. Hats off to Eon Productions, The Broccolis, because if this movie had gone streaming, for me, the sky was falling because Bond, to me, has always been a theatrical play. It's always a movie theater experience. The chills you get when that when the theme comes on, he turns, shoots through the barrel at the audience. It's just chill. Well, how will we how will we know that it's a financial success? What kind of numbers would you expect it to do? Well, I mean, if we look to me and I still say it, any movie earns over 50 million in a three day opening weekend in North America. To me, that's a win, even still in this environment. But I, I think for Bond, if everyone feels the way I do and you guys do. Who knows? I mean, we're still waiting right. for the elusive hundred million dollar North American opener, which hasn't would, happened would, yet for the three days. Would, would that be a home run if 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 Bond does over a hundred oh million in the gosh. opening I mean, weekend? That would be beyond a home run. Okay, great. Yeah. How about uh, uh, we're going to just tick off some titles for you? Venom, Let There Be Carnage, directed by Andy Serkis and starring Tom Hardy. Yeah, they what moved it up two that? weeks. It's now October first, and that shows a lot of confidence in the movie theater. I think Sony moved it up because. Top Gun moved out, and that left a bit of an opportunity for some of these other films. I think the move up for that, the first one was a big hit. Very excited about that one. I loved Tom Hardy. That guy, he's incredible. You you can't pin him down ever. What a great actor. Uh, Also up in October, Dune, starring Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. What do you make of Dune? Dune, I think, is, like Shang-Chi, going to be really important because that's going to be on HBO Max. It's obviously Denny Villeneuve, who's a phenomenal filmmaker, a very stylistic filmmaker, a lot of gravitas to uh, his films, but also a great look. And if you look at the trailer for Dune, you're like, oh, man, that's on HBO Max, but I want to see it in the theater. Now, that hasn't worked for every film. Some of the films that are on HBO Max haven't exactly knocked it out of the park in theaters. So the question is, will audiences say, well, I can sit here on my couch and watch Dune on my, let's even call it an 80-inch screen. But man, I, if I'm a true fan, I got to go out to that movie theater. So if if Dune does really well in theaters, that says that people had the choice but decided because of that, this filmmaker and what this film looks like and what it represents and the stars and everything about it, that they have that option but choose to go to the movie theater in a big way. And especially in the second and third weekends, That'll tell us a lot from this box office laboratory that we're in right now. Yet another uh, example that we can glean information from to see how audiences are responding to these various releases. November, we have The Eternals from Marvel and Academy Award-winning director Chloe Zhao. How would you expect The Eternals to do November? Well, Shang-Chi, once again, kind of sets this up for, you know, people go to a movie theater and love a superhero movie or a Marvel movie they're going to be excited to see something like Eternals. And Disney recently announced they are putting every movie this year straight into the movie theater first, and then eventually, at 45 days, uh, be available on Disney+. Plus. We also have Ghostbusters from Jason Reitman, starring Paul Rudd and a young new cast. What do you expect for Ghostbusters? Well, Ghostbusters Afterlife is the do-over we've been waiting for. As we know, the an earlier attempt at at remaking or rebooting Ghostbusters really didn't work on a financial level or a, you know, creative level, but this looks really good with Finn Wolfhard, of course, from it, Stranger Things, you've got, you're going to get a lot of younger viewers going to the movie theater, an audience that we thought was going away, that was migrating to their small screens. They're now the ones 
<laughs> going to in a big way going to the movie theater. So that idea that the yeah. younger audience we were losing it maybe the the pandemic accelerated a readoption or re-embracing of the movie theater by younger audiences. And that's a really cool thing. And I think Ghostbusters Afterlife will benefit from that. Our insider today is Paul Dergarabedian, Senior Analyst at Comscore. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our insider today is Paul Dergarabedian of Comscore. So, Paul, Mark Serrati of Cinemark was with us at CinemaCon. He said that he thinks that the fourth quarter of this year could surprise everybody, right? What's your feeling? How, how will the fourth quarter do, you believe, box office-wise? I think Mark Zerati is 100% spot on. Because of all these, sh- all these shifting of movies, it really is creating summer in the fall <laughs> and the holiday. Because this summer, while we had some great performances and Shang-Chi rounded out that summer season on a high note with record-breaking Labor Day numbers, it really, it didn't feel like a complete summer. But not every weekend is going to be knock it out of the park. We have to realize if, if we don't have weekends that overperform, it's not a mandate against the movie theater. It's the natural ebb and flow of the box office based on the perceived quality of the movies and what's available out there. I mean, when you look at, I mean, I just go through the titles. There, there are so many. Those are really exciting films that just beg to be seen in a movie theater. And I would love for your listeners to try and speculate on what will be the movie to open with $100 million. And I'm not talking about over a four-day holiday, over a, the five days of Thanksgiving, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What is going to be the movie that opens with $100 million, the first movie to do that, I think since Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker a couple years ago. I may be wrong on that, but I mean, it's been a while since we've had, we don't even know what a $100 million opener feels like. Now, of course, Shang-Chi got really close, but that was for four days. Now we want to see what's the movie that hits that opens with $100 million in North America. So the fall is a time we think of uh, seeing movies that are going to do well in the awards season. But uh, let me tick off a few more titles here. King Richard, uh, Oscar buzz for Will Smith as the father of Serena and Venus Williams. It's the story of them coming of age and his leadership in getting them into the tennis world. How, how do you think that's going to do? I think that's going to, you know, it's interesting. Documentaries do well, but also movies that dramatize real people do really well. And I think, again, the awards season for the past two years has been really upended because the traditions, especially last year, of having a lot of independent film in the fall really didn't happen in 2020 for obvious reasons. But this year, uh, you know, the Roadrunner, Anthony Bourdain uh, documentary did really well. Focus features always at the forefront of, of those types of films. So I think I, I think any movie like this that has the buzz going for it looks really cool. Great actors, great talent involved. Yeah. I think that could be a, a really good. I, I lo- there, there has been some amazing speculation that because 
Beyonce sings the new song Be Alive for the movie soundtrack, that it's a pretty good guess that if the Oscars are smart, they will, they will, that, that song could get nominated for best song of the year. And then you have Beyonce singing at the Academy Awards telecast, which of course would drive the ratings through the roof. So it's, it's everybody is kind of looking at the lay of the land to say, how can this manifest into an exciting 2022? Well, Jim, that's that's really cool because you, you bring up a great point. Look at the synergies there, right? We're going to have the movie. We're going to have the song. We're going to, right. Right. Have it at the Oscars, all that stuff right. ties in, raises right. awareness. But you got to have the movie. I mean, right. it's got to be it. good. You got to well, have the, the movie. Rev- right. And the buzz about it is that it's a great movie. Yeah. House, of, House of Gucci stars Al Pacino, Adam Driver, Selma Hayek, Jared Leto, and Lady Gaga, for gosh sakes. What do you expect there? Well, just with that cast alone, <laughs> I'm all in. So I, I, yeah. I think. Again, when you put a great cast together like that, like these are icons, right? But again, you can have movies with great actors and the movie doesn't deliver, but I'm right. counting on this one to deliver. You have that much talent in there. I I, I see that as a, as a winner for sure. Um, musicals are back. Uh, the Aretha Franklin biography, Respect, uh, has been in theaters, getting great reviews for Jennifer Hudson. How's that doing? I think that's doing well. I I love movies like this. I'm a big music guy. For me, we always talk about the big screen. What about the big sound, right? So when right. you see a when you see Bohemian Rhapsody or A Star Is Born, a respect. So you get that wonderful story, a biopic, a musical biopic among my favorite genres. But let's not forget the importance of that sound, the immersive sound. And look, some people may have the most killer home theater sound system and a giant screen, but that's a very small percentage of people. All right. I talked to someone uh, yesterday who had seen a private screening of Spencer starring Kristen Stewart as Lady Diana. Stewart is already getting buzz as a lock for best actress Oscar nomination. And this person said it was a, that she becomes Lady Di. Um, how do you see this movie? Well, when you look at the trailer, it's incredible. I mean, Kristen Stewart becomes Lady Di. And if just the promise of her performance, the way she looks, the way that she's so, it's uncanny how she captures that wonderful spirit of Lady Di, I think people are going to be really interested in this. And, and again, when you dramatize a real life figure, there's a lot of responsibility. We've seen this many times. And I think, uh, Lady dies really good hands here for sure. Then December brings two highly anticipated films. First is The Matrix 4 starring Keanu Reeves. How yeah. big do you think this could be? Well, I get the chills just thinking about this movie. I, I looked at that trailer and I love all these Easter eggs that the, the trailer creating folks put into this. Keanu Reeves, one of my favorite actors, uh, the John Wick series, among my favorites. I think this one, Lana Wachowski, I mean, look, The Matrix, the first Matrix movie opened at the end of March because I don't think anyone knew what was going to happen with that film. Didn't know if audiences would respond, if they'd think it was too esoteric, too too, uh, intellectual and all that. Is a Matrix movie as big a movie as you'll have all year? I mean, is it it that kind of franchise? Absolutely. Uh, It feels like summer. And, you know, sometimes with with reboots or sequels, whatever you want to call something like this. It's been a really long time since the last movie, but I think that absence has made the heart grow fonder. 
And because you have the filmmaking pedigree there with Lana Wachowski and you have Keanu Reeves and you have the, the, the essential uh, part of that cast involved. Carrie Ann Moss, incredible. I mean, I get chills watching that trailer. So excited about that. I may be as excited about Matrix as I am about James Bond. And I never thought I'd hear myself say that. And how about Spider-Man? Spider-Man, I, could that be the $100 million opener? Maybe. The last few Spider-Man movies have been incredible. I mean, just fantastic films really deliver on the promise of Spider-Man. And the trailer is alluding to some cool stuff in there that I think is going to get people really excited to, to come out to see it. So well, we'll it see. Sounds I'm like really excited. This could, be, this could be big. A bunch of these titles that we've discussed require an international audience. Wim, are your partners around the world, are they open? Are the theaters open? Are they uh, hopeful about fourth quarter being able to, you know, bring fans back for these movies? No, I think, Jim, they are. Uh, if I look at Europe, for instance, I think most movies are definitely open. Uh, here and there, there are still some restrictions, or let's say, on the capacity on how many people to get into a movie theater, which we see a little bit across the board. But people are coming back, uh, like we said earlier. Uh, it, it is seen as a safe place, right? Well-controlled, very important. And if I look at Asia, for instance, also there, there are some territories that are reopened, right? India is opening up again, also with, of course, a limited capacity at this point in time, up to 50%. But I think next week they're going to open up nationally uh, in India, to give an idea. That was one of the last territories which really was, was uh, um, hit hard, I would say, on, under the covid uh, so, so no, I think, you know, people are, are ready and cinemas are ready, I think, for the fourth quarter. Absolutely. And, you know, the, you bring up a, a good point, Wim, because not every country is open at the same rate at the same time. There's, I think, a lot of consumer confusion when you have shifts in release dates or when theaters aren't available or open. So I think all that will coalesce next year that we'll be able to figure out what's going on. But international, vitally important. Like you said, varying degrees of openness, for lack of a better way to say it, with some of the theaters. So if the movies are here, you still have to have the theater available. But once we have both available at 100%, let's say, or as close as we can get, that's when we can truly assess this marketplace. You said, uh, told the LA Times uh, that you thought the current movement was not a flash in the pan, but it was a trend. What kind of a trend should we be looking for, can our listeners be looking for that are signs of real health and robustness at the box office? I think just more weekends like Shang-Chi will we'll do that. Uh, even going back to Quiet Place Part 2, you look at any of the bigger films that did well and, it, and also looking at the final figures for these films, you'll notice generally that the movies that had a theatrical first run fared better ultimately at the box office because they were not available at home. Because I think this was maybe the toughest test the movie theater has ever had. And like it took on TV in the 50s, the home video revolution in the 90s, the home theater revolution in the 2000s, and now the streaming revolution or evolution shows that the movie theater is here to stay. It is not going the way of the pay telephone, let's say, I think it's here to stay. And that maybe is the most important lesson to come out of this entire uh, situation over the past almost, well, year and a half, two years now with regard to the movie industry. You've been hearing a lot of the titles, right? We, we, we've been talking about in Q4 here. 
Which of those do you believe will have the potential to drive tenfold revenues? And which title do you think will be the blockbuster here for the year? Well, there's a lot. I mean, <laughs> we talked a lot about some of these. I, I really feel that there's a lot of great movies that are coming out over the next three months that look like they will really test the consumer's love for the movie theater. And if uh, the past few weeks have been any indication, I think audiences love the movie theater experience. The uh, the sheer number of what you're saying here is almost overwhelming in that we're getting, it feels as if a year's worth of titles in the course of the next 10 weeks. Is that a plus that there's almost something every single weekend that's... Well, Jim, that's a great question because what if it's too much, right? Because we are compressing like a year's worth of titles because studios don't want to keep hanging on to these movies and putting them out there in 22, 23. I mean, movies that were originally set for 2020 or even early 21, they got to get them out there. So there is this bevy of riches, whether or not that works or not. I mean, you have to have the demand there. You have to have moviegoers who want to go out almost every week. But I think there is that pent up demand. I think people are really excited to go to movies. And how could you not go see Ghostbusters or Spider-Man or Matrix uh, in a movie theater? So I think that'll play out well. But then in 22 is when I think we'll have a more orderly, as we used to call it, release pattern or schedule. And we'll know a lot more when we see how those films do. And remember, too, we're not going to get anywhere near 11 billion in North America or over 42 billion worldwide as as we've had uh, pre-pandemic. But maybe next year we get a lot closer to that. But this year we got to understand it was a different kind of year. Would but, you say that that uh, you've not seen a 90-day period before with this many major titles in it? Well, I have, but it's always during the summer, <laughs> right? At, at this, and, and often the fall and holiday, you get, you know, your, your holiday blockbusters. You also get a lot of independent film. But again, the schedule has been put in a blender and then poured out into this new world. And it's definitely different. But I think no less exciting. And maybe it is good to shake things up. Who cares if it's summer and fall? Why not? People want to go to the movies. There's no seasons on streaming that I'm aware of. So why should there be the the seasons in the movie theater? At the end of the day, it's in the hands of the consumer, but it feels as if the theaters are ready to welcome these people back with uh, laser projection and great sound and and all of the other experience aspects of the the consumer experience. Right, Wim? Oh, absolutely. I think the... Exhibition community have been waiting for, I would say, a lineup like this, right? It, it is a, it's a treat, uh, you could say. But, but I think they're absolutely sharp, ready to uh, show their best uh, angle in in bringing that experience alive in an outdoor uh, experience because it is still an evening out, and you want to enjoy that and you want to see the difference versus seeing it at home, right, on the big screen with all the services and everything around it. So, so I think you know, talking with many of the of the CEOs and, and many of the uh, you know, exhibition industry, they are absolutely ready for this. And we all hope that all the dates stays where they are, right? As we always say, because it's been a little bit of volatile, but there are so many titles and, and Shang-Chi definitely has has shown the way with some other titles too. But but I think the, the, the community is ready. And I do believe that also the movie goers are ready, right? And, and to being said earlier here, I think it goes hand in hand, watching things at streaming and uh, watching it in the movie theater, maybe not at the same time, 
but but in a certain sequence, right? And and I do believe that that more of that uh, we will see happening. So it, it, listening to both of you speak, it it feels as if this may be the beginning, right? The beginning of the journey out of uh, this last year and all the calamities that have befallen the the uh, the cinema world. Uh, does that does it feel that way to both of you that this is the beginning of the yeah. the end of the nightmare here? Definitely, definitely. Because look at the alternative. If we were living in a situation where none of these movies were resonating in the movie theater, not drawing crowds, not building box office, this would have been the time where people would have just thrown in the towel and said, okay, streaming takes over, that's it for the movie theater. Did not happen. It's baked into our DNA to want to be in a, in a communal environment. And that immersive movie theater experience, there's nothing like it. For a horror movie, uh, people always talk about horror movies are best in the theater. That's true. Comedies. I think every movie that's created and intended for the big screen is always better in the movie theater. That's what well, it was. That's what those the, films were The great were news is, yeah, I think what you're saying is, it, is the consumers telling us that now? The most, Jim, the most powerful people in Hollywood, it's the consumer. It's not the studio executives. It's not the money people. It's not, it's the consumer. They are the studio I mean, they are the the the, They're the, the deciders. Boss. They're the boss. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Paul. This has been fantastic. You've been a fabulous guest, and all we can do is hope you can come back and make sense of what's about to happen uh, to our industry. Of course, Jim and and Wim, I I really appreciate it. I had so much fun. I'd go for another hour with you guys. Uh, I'm here any time for you. All right. Well, we're going to take you up on that. Thank you, Paul. Thank, Thank you, you, Wim. Our quote of the day comes from a visitor to the stunning new Motion Picture Academy Museum. For more than a century, Hollywood has held a magical place in the world's imagination. But as a local, all of us in Southern California know that in reality, the actual city of Hollywood never gives visitors the same rush of imagination and thrill. So imagine how excited we are to have an actual place to take our out-of-town guests to connect them with a Hollywood as glamorous and magical as their hopes and dreams. When it opens to the public next week, the Academy Museum will allow visitors to actually experience the moment of winning an Oscar. Set on an actual stage, a guest will hear the sound of music and the roar of the audience and get the chance to be handed an actual Oscar and give a brief speech in front of a brightly lit imaginary crowd. The Los Angeles Times heard a guest during a preview tour say simply, I'd like to thank the Academy. And for that, we add our thanks for this fabulous new landmark. It's a Hollywood dream come true. Thank you, Wim. Thank you, Paul. And thank you for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.